White Ice, uh, 2018, a year of questions and conversations on race with United Methodist clergy and laity focusing on the 50 years after merger and how it has affected African-American congregations and their communities. My name is Vincent Harris, your host for this podcast, and we will explore uh, over the year conversations on yesterday's perspective on race, today's context of race in uh, United Methodist churches, and also visions for tomorrow. We will have guests from all walks of life, and we uh, hope that you will be able to join us in these conversations. Today we have Joe Daniels, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, and uh, we've been uh, kind of hanging out uh, here uh, at a meeting, but I uh, caught him and asked him if he'd come in and share with us today uh, some questions about uh, this uh, denomination that we have and that we're in uh, around race. Uh, the, the, old, the old statement used to be, Joe, is that uh, racism is the church's unfinished business. Uh, and, and in this climate that we're in today, I uh, just want to get a few uh, tips and insights from you uh, because you are one of the leaders uh, of the church today. Oh, you're very uh, kind. Yeah, the, the obvious question, you know, and I want to go ahead and say, put that down on the table first, is that you know, do you believe racism is still the most challenging uh, issue uh, for the church and, and society today? I believe it is the issue. I believe it is the issue of which other issues really emanate from in this country. Um, this country was built on racism, and until we deal with that issue um, as the root of oppression in America, then all oppression, race, uh, immigration, uh, all other oppression will, yeah. will not be resolved. Yeah. You heard probably earlier today that that, that eight percent of the United Methodist Church uh, is are people of color. Yes, ninety uh, percent are Anglo. Mm -hmm. um, uh, tell me, uh, if you can, um, on a scale of one to ten, uh, over the last fifty years, you've kind of been around the denomination. You want to start out in it, but but what do you think would be your your rating uh, today uh, for for how racism has been dealt with in the United Methodist Church on a scale of one to ten? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, on a scale of one to ten, I I, I would give it uh, in terms of uh, how it's been dealt with um, a two. Okay. Um, we barely mention it. We talk about it barely, um, and so I I think you know mentioning the fact that. It exists. We barely do that, but we do that. Mm -hmm. But much more than that, we don't deal with the systemic causes. Uh, we we are afraid to really talk about it, uh, to deal with it head on. Um, or when we deal with it, we deal with it when a tragedy has happened. If we deal with it when a tragedy has happened, we talk about it. Some folks will say, I'm sorry. But um, we don't deal with the systemic root causes of it, uh, and we don't seem to have the courage to, to deal with truth. Usually that takes us to money, takes us to economics, takes us to power. Um, even when we talk about being a multicultural church, we, we 
like to focus on the different colors of the rainbow we have within the church. We like to focus on different ethnicities, etc. But we're truly not multicultural until we examine um, who's in charge of the money, who's bringing the money, who makes the money decisions, who are the people in power to make decisions um, in the church. And so we got a long way to go. Um, We think we're closer, and and granted, when you consider 50 years ago to now, we've come a very long way, um, a very, very long way. But we got a long way to go. So, so do you think that this merger uh, has helped or hindered the potential for African-American churches uh, and leaders uh, over the last 50 years? You know, we merged, uh, there was going to be this movement forward. Uh, has that helped or hindered the potential for, for the churches themselves uh, as they are in contact with the community and, and leaders as well? Uh, I think it has helped and it has hindered. Um, I think it has helped because it it has enabled us as black people to see a much broader world. Uh, It's been it it has enabled us to step into places and spaces where we were left out of, and to excel and to thrive. And without the merger, that would not have happened in many respects. Uh, I think it has hindered us from the standpoint of. Uh, I think we have left a lot of our black cultural and traditional fire, uh, particularly as it pertains to worship, particularly as it pertains to black life. Um, I think in merging, in merging, we left a lot of who we are behind uh, trying to fit into this new thing. And um, until we are really prepared to authentically embrace everything we are the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great uh, in our overall church experience uh, worship, music, preaching teaching, social justice prophecy, uh, organizing uh, economic development, all of that until we're prepared to do that we, we'll, we won't be who we are fully and, and Vince, I'm, I'm one um, I really am one who believes that the black church is the salvation of the world. Okay. Um, nobody has been through what we've been through. Yeah. Um, from the middle passage on, no one has experienced the oppression that we have, and yet we're still standing. Yeah. And not only are we still standing, in many cases we are still thriving. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we begin to tap into the root of who we are yeah. uh, in God, yeah. I, I believe we're the, we're the hope of the world. Yeah. The, um, the church, and I think you, you've experienced this, and, and so have I. I think that when you when you get to a situation that has to be recreated, mm-hmm. uh, and you're co-creating with God, you, mm-hmm. know, you really are working in, in this place, uh, trying to, to to really iron out what's God's plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you went to Emory Fellowship, or at that time it was just Emory United Methodist yeah. Church. Uh, there was, there were of which it still is. We just call ourselves. Right. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so those challenges were there then. Yes. Now, no, one, no one gave you a roadmap. Uh, no. but, but because of uh, what you saw, the decline, uh, the possibility of closing, you know, you see, and then around you, you know, the, the, the closed United Methodist churches that you saw, um, you know, what was it that, that really uh, motivated you? that process? What were some things that you said 
you know, this is God's plan. This, this is the work that I do as a servant, and, and this is how we're going to move forward uh, to make this better. We're not going to go in a, in a, in a, in a direction of, of decline. We're going to move into a new direction of hope and, and understanding that we are a part of this community, and the church plays a major part in that. So you're asking, what, what was it? Yeah, what was it for, for you? Yeah. I, when I was sent to Emory, I just, I believe firmly that the church could live. Okay. And the church needed to live. And it was my responsibility as, as the pastor to, to lead, lead the revitalization. Okay. And so it was a matter of getting back to basics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, we worshiped for an hour and everybody went home. Didn't talk to one another, didn't know any other. There was no community engagement, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And so... We started in worship. Okay. I tried to preach every Sunday like it was the last time I was going to preach. That's what I was taught. Um, I sought to love people with all that I had. That's what I was taught. I sought to start Bible studies. That's what I loved to do. Um, and I began reaching out to people in the community. Yeah. And so we took, a, at that time, a spiritual development uh, leader development, a community development, economic development approach uh, to try to revitalize where we were, mm-hmm. and and um, it's been 25 years, and we've, we've come a very long way. Wow. <laughs> 25 years. Yeah. Wow. Which is unusual in our church. I mean, I've been able to stay in one place for a long time, yeah. but uh, um, long-term appointments have have their power mm-hmm. when it's a good uh, marriage between pastor and people, people and pastor, and between people, pastor, and community. Sure, sure. And so that's been a good good mix. Yeah. What are some of the obstacles you think that we put in our own way as we try to move forward, but we seem to just keep, you know, not getting there? You know, it's it's almost as if we, we, we shoot our own selves in the foot. Well, I think, I think, and you, you know this all too well, but I, I believe that um, one of the games that racism has played on us as black people uh, has been this whole thing around internalized oppression. Uh, and, and I think we, we have, um, be, because, and Howard Thurman talks about this in his book, Jesus and Disinherited, but because we have been deceived, uh, we often deceive ourselves. Um, and we often think that there's only but so high we can go. There's only but so far we can go. There's only but so much we can accomplish. And we tend to, through uh, conscious and subconscious messages, we tend to look at ourselves as always failing, always falling short, always being thrown in jail, always uh, in, in a negative kind of context. And so we start to look at ourselves as... Um, insufficient people Uh, and when we're able to defeat that and overcome that there's nothing we can't do nothing Um, in every facet of church and society there's there's nothing we can't do I think that a lot of people would not say that they would look for other challenges uh, but but that's that's it no it's it's, we we have to look within granted the system has the system of oppression has yeah. done to us what it's done the to us. The struggle is within. Right. Yeah. The struggle is within, and, yeah. and as we said, now the struggle is real. <laughs> but, but, uh, but we have to look within yeah. 
and stop oppressing ourselves yeah. and yeah. stop saying yeah. what we can't be, what yeah. we can't do. So um, when we talk about movements and struggle, um, the civil rights movement gave, gave us a lot uh, in the United Methodist Church as far as, as how we could be motivated. Uh, is there something today, some mechanism, some organization, some some rallying point to where we could have a similar type of energy that would kind of kind of put us into that tipping point where we, you know we kind of just sitting on the fence, kind of waiting yeah. on something to happen. Where do you see? Is there anything, any place, any 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 people you know that could help in that process? Uh, I, I was that was one of the questions that was running in my mind as I was coming in here to see you. <laughs> but uh, yes, yes, there is. Um, let me say first, um, I don't know if we're angry enough, um, even in this present climate we're in. Yeah. I don't know if we're angry enough, and I think part of that is, you know, there's 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 this mentality. Well, I I got mine. I got mine. I got enough to live a nice life. I don't want to. I don't want to disturb that, etc. Whereas in the civil rights movement, I mean, you, you talk about people couldn't find jobs. Period. I mean, we can't find jobs now, but we we were not allowed to have certain jobs because of the color of our skin. Couldn't drink out of a certain water fountain. Couldn't use a certain bath. I mean, we just had there was just tremendous oppressions on a number of fronts. Those are still real today. They look different. But I, but we've we've gotten comfortable. There's a certain complacency about us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, um, what will tip that over? Um, I don't know. Um, I, I I do believe what will change it is the passion and energy that we're seeing through a lot of our young people uh, who are tired of oppression. Period. Um, I think we saw some of that expressed through Black Lives Matter. Um, we've seen some of it through a lot of young black activists. Um, even in this whole gun violence piece, there's, there, are, there are black young leaders that are stepping up to, uh, to claim a voice in the midst of a topic in which we're often ignored uh, because you know, we get shot up every day, nobody says anything. Um, but I think it's going. It's, it's going to come from the younger generations who are, who are angry with with the oppression they see, um, and the church is going to need to tap into that because, in, in in large regard, you know, in large regard, we are not engaged enough with poor folks, and we are not engaged enough with young folks. And uh, Jesus was poor and young. <laughs> when, when when he started the, his That's movement, right. and we need yeah. to learn from that. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, we've got a um, a year this year, eighteen, leading into a, a special session of general conference um, all around the issue of human sexuality. Uh, this is not a conversation on human sexuality, but um, one of the questions I think that you know, I'm trying to figure out is that. How does, how does this conversation on human sexuality impact the black church? Well, let me start off by saying um, I don't believe anybody should be oppressed, period. Whether or not you agree or disagree with 
with a particular issue, no one should be oppressed. Um, so I want to start there. Um, what I am intrigued about, though, is we're arguing over sex. <laughs> In 2018, we're arguing over sex, and um, there are more black men locked up in prison than there were in slavery. Um, we are not getting an education. Racism is going is is rampant. People are starving to death in this country, white and black. There's more white poverty in this country than there is any other poverty. Um, white folks don't like to talk about poverty amongst their own people. There are 10 million more poor people, white mm-hmm. poor people in this country than anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who are really, really being oppressed. And here we are as a church talking about sex, arguing about sex. Um, so I, 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 I think we need, to, we need to get on with it. You know, We don't need to impress anybody. We need to remove walls of oppression and get on with what really, really is most important in life. I find it interesting because I am a, a delegate uh, that we're going to St. Louis uh, to resolve this issue or to attempt to resolve this issue of human sexuality. We're going to a, we're going to be in a city right next door to Ferguson, Missouri, where Michael Brown was shot and killed, and we still don't talk about or deal with the suppression and outright violence and killing of young black males. We're not talking about that. We're in St. Louis, notoriously uh, one of the most racist cities in the United States of America. The yeah. state of Missouri, yeah. the state of Missouri is on the is on the tourism list yeah. as one of the top ten places where black people or people of color traveling through the state need to travel with caution. Wow! And we're not even talking about race; we're talking about sex. Yeah. And we're and and to be frank. Um, Usually, um, well, in, in, in the black church, we always knew who was who, okay? You knew that. Um, people would, would mention this, mention that, and you knew who was who, but you, you dealt with that, you, you, and you loved the person, and you went on with life because there were greater things for us to deal with. Um, that's, that, that was traditionally black culture, church culture. I feel like this has an elitist flair to it that um, um, is disturbing, and and um, we we need to we need to we need to call that what it is um, while we are eliminating any oppression that maybe that people may be experiencing. And we don't talk about that. I would I would venture to say that I'm in the in the vast minority. Yeah, we don't speaking like we that. Because um, we we're think, we're afraid of of losing particular political posturing and positioning if we just tell it like it is. Well, being the church <laughs> makes us. Um, I think it's Peter Gomes that talks about this. Is if we were other, if we were anything other than Christians, it would be okay. <laughs> right, right. But we are required. Yeah, but have them resolve in the context of the relation that a Christian has to the world, yeah. not to one another, but to the world. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, 
But look, man, I, 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 you know, I've got like a thousand questions. Yeah. We, we're, we're a little bit out of time today, man. But I, I really appreciate you, Joe, and, and you know, of course your ministry. And, and, and I knew your mom when I was back in Sydney. Yes, sir. She but, talks uh, about you all yeah, the time. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> it's great being with you. Thanks for, for being a part of the podcast. And I uh, hope you come back and, and, and share with us again sometime. We'd love to, man.